Well, I hope those words, the words to that great hymn are etched in your minds. They are perfect for the passage that we are going to look at this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, watching by live stream and maybe visiting for the first time, we are working our way through the Gospel of John and we come this morning to John chapter 19 and the first 16 verses. John chapter 19 and the first 16 verses. As I have been sharing with our people, John chapters 18 through 21 formed the last big section of the Gospel of John. If you were studying this on your own, if you were studying this in a small group Bible study, you would know that this is the last section, a great section of this Gospel. And it, this last section focuses on the arrest, trial, beating, crucifixion, resurrection, and post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. This is what is termed historical narrative. It moves quickly. We are looking at a little bit larger sections as we go through this. Last week, or so far I should say, in chapter 18, we saw Jesus betrayed by Judas Iscariot, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he is brought before Annas. Then he is taken to Caiaphas. The Apostle John chooses not to even go into the trial before Caiaphas, which plays a major role in the other three Gospels. And then last week, we saw Jesus come before Pontius Pilate in one of the most interesting and intriguing conversations in the annals of human history. And Jesus says to Pilate, he says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate makes that famous statement, asks that famous question, what is truth? And then we saw that Pilate, knowing that Jesus was innocent, saying, I find no guilt in him, decides to try to pacify the Jewish religious leaders, and so in honor of a Passover custom, he brings before them Jesus and Barabbas, and says, choose one. Will you choose the king of the Jews or Barabbas? And the Bible tells us that Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. And of course, the people chose Barabbas. And that brings us to chapter 19 and those first 16 verses. And we read this. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, 
Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in, in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Our first point this morning is behold the man. Even though Pontius Pilate found no guilt in Jesus, he still had him beaten severely and handed him over to the Roman soldiers who tortured him. In verse 1, it simply says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Obviously, it doesn't mean that Pilate himself flogged him, but he turned him over to the Roman soldiers. And they scourged him. They whipped him. They flogged him. There is so much in this one little verse. You may be familiar with this. If you are, it's good to hear it again. If you're not, it's good to learn what it was like. When a man was going to be crucified and they first flogged him, one of the Roman soldiers, usually a young, strong soldier, would take one of their whips, and their whips had a wooden handle, and attached to the wooden handle was a long strip of leather. And on that leather, it had attached to it either bits of lead or brass or sharp pieces of bone. And they would take that whip, they would tie up the criminal, they would tie him to a post with his back exposed, and they would whip him over and over and over again. And those bits of brass or lead or bone would then gouge into the flesh of the one who was being beaten and would literally rip and tear out the flesh. And sometimes this beating, this flogging was so brutal, so violent, so inhumane, 
that the one to be crucified would actually die before they ever got to crucifixion. And when they were done, the person would be bloodied, beaten. There would be blood running down their backs and from their sides. And they say that sometimes you could even see their veins and some of their inner organs starting to pop out of their body. It was a gross, extremely immoral type of beating. Every single commentary that I read this week placed a great emphasis on the brutality of this kind of flogging. It was so bad, and this is important this morning, it was so bad, so inhumane, that if you were a Roman citizen, you were totally exempt from flogging. They would never flog a Roman citizen no matter how serious a crime they may commit. This kind of flogging was reserved only for the most vile of criminals. And they do it to Jesus. And in verses 2 and 3 it says, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. These young soldiers, these ultimate bullies, wanting to have a good time with this prisoner, a sadistic good time with this prisoner, take a crown of thorns with long, pointed, very sharp thorns. They take that from the bush and they form it into a crown and they press it on his head until the blood is streaming down his face. And then they find some makeshift purple robe and they put it on him and the Bible says they struck him with their hands. It literally means they punched him. They punched him over and over again. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This week I read something really interesting. I never quite thought of this before, which is an amazing reminder that no matter how many years you study the Bible, you're always finding new things. Always. John MacArthur wrote something about this, these first three verses. I just hadn't thought about in this way. He said that in the flogging and in the beating from the soldiers, Jesus was already beginning, already beginning to bear the punishment for our sins. I think of the cross, but I don't think of that as him actually bearing our sins. I want to read what part, part of what he wrote. It's too long to put on the screen, so if you would, just listen. And again, I hadn't thought of it quite this way before. Maybe you hadn't either. This is what he writes, John MacArthur. We often think that Jesus bore our sins only when he died, but he bore our sins in pain and suffering. We know he was bearing sin even when he was still alive on the cross. But I also believe that at this point, 
When he was scourged, he was bearing sin. I believe he was bearing punishment right there. For I read in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Even when they hit him in the face with their fists, he was offering for sin. For the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, his suffering didn't just begin on the cross. It began with all the punches and all the spit and all of these things that went on prior to the cross. He was bearing the punishment of sin even then. And then in verse 4 it says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Pilate says again, second time, for we saw this in chapter 18. Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. He is innocent, which tells us something about the character of Pilate. He knew Jesus was innocent, and yet he has him beaten anyway. He allows him to go through this brutal, inhumane, violent flogging and then beating at the hands of the soldiers. So in verse 5, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He brings him before the crowd of Jews, which I believe was mostly comprised of the Jewish religious leaders who had brought him here. And Jesus, we can imagine, standing there, probably barely able to stand straight, blood coming down his face, probably his veins and organs coming out of his body, blood running down his entire body. And Pilate utters that famous Latin phrase, ecce homo, Behold the man. I believe that Pilate was trying to free Jesus at this point, in a sadistic way, but trying to free him. Look at him, pathetic, helpless, beaten. He's the one you're afraid of? He's the one who is a threat to you? Oh, behold the man. But even though Jesus is clearly innocent, the Jewish religious leaders are relentless in their desire to have Jesus crucified. Even though they see him in this pathetic, beaten state, we read in verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. I want us to try to grasp this morning, this scene. This is a very intense drama, very emotional. 
the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders, our emotional pilot is emotional. I believe that both parties were angry with each other. They had both lost their tempers. I mean, this was a shouting match. You need to understand that as we come to this. When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out. Here he is in this beaten, pathetic state, and they say, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate screams back at them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. You know what's interesting? If we take all four Gospels together, dismissing the overlapping parallel passages, six times, six separate times in the four Gospels, Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. I find no fault in him. Six times he says that. In verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. He claims to be the Son of God, Pilate. And he did. And I want you to understand this morning, this becomes their go-to argument. They had tried to bring other charges against him and could find no credible witnesses. So this becomes the one that they're going to use, that they're going to press forward with Pilate. He claims to be the son of God, and of course he did. So he either was the son of God, or in their eyes he was a blasphemer. He was one or the other. Absolutely crucial moment. And then in verse 8, and John, the Apostle John, is the only one who records it like this. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. When it says he was even more afraid, do you know what that means? He was already afraid. He was even more afraid. Pilate was afraid. Pilate hated the Jews. The Jews hated Pilate, especially the Jewish religious leaders. They hated him. There was a lot of animosity between the two, but they knew, or excuse me, Pilate knew. And we saw this when we looked at Annas two weeks ago. Very, very powerful man, very wealthy man at this time in history. Pilate knew that if they went to Caesar, they could potentially cost him his job and even cause him to be punished if he did not keep the Jewish people in line. And they were not an easy people to rule over. And Pilate, Pontius Pilate, as the governor of Judea, that province, had that responsibility. But now they say Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. And that bothers Pilate. That makes him even more afraid. And here's why, I think. After studying this out this week, Pilate's wondering, am I punishing the Son of God? Am I, in his pagan religion, am I punishing a son of the gods? And he became afraid. Now, add to this, it's not recorded in the Gospel of John, but we find it in the Gospel of Matthew. It is right around this same time that his wife, 
Pilate's wife sends him a note, and it says, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. So Pilate has all this weighing on him, and he hears that this guy claims to be the son of God. And the Bible says when he heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate's question was not even worthy of a response from Jesus. Jesus had already told him that he was a king. Jesus had already told him that the purpose for which he was born, the purpose for which he came into the world, was to reveal the truth, to bear witness to the truth. Jesus had already told him, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus knew that Pilate couldn't find any guilt in him, no fault in him. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? And notice the anger, the emotion. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the kind of Roman authority that I have? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. O Pilate, the only reason you have any authority over me at all is because a sovereign, all-powerful God has allowed you for the moment to have authority over me. If God hadn't given you that authority, you would have no authority over me. But know this, Pilate, those who delivered me over to you have the greater sin. Interesting sentence. There's been a lot of debate about this over the years. But what Jesus is saying, Pilate, I know what you're doing. And don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. Pilate was fully guilty, fully culpable. But Pilate was simply a Roman official. He really, as you read through this, you realize Pilate wanted to get rid of this whole thing. He wanted to wash his hands of it and get rid of Jesus because he knew he was innocent. And he says, those who handed you over to me, they have the greater sin. Which reminds us, this is another sermon for another day. There are degrees of sin. And there will be degrees of punishment in hell. The greater sin here lies with the Jewish religious leaders. They had debated with Jesus over and over again throughout the Gospel of John. They knew all his claims. They knew all of his teachings. They knew all of his miracles. And they are bloodthirsty at this point. Remember what I shared with you the last couple of weeks. This is a premeditated plot to murder Jesus. 
that's what it is. And so their sin is even greater, even greater than that of Pontius Pilate. It's a very interesting situation. I want to just pause here. I want us to think what's going on here. The Jews are afraid of Jesus. Pilate is afraid of the Jews. And Jesus isn't afraid of anybody. What a scene. The Jews are afraid of Jesus. Pilate is afraid of the Jews. But Jesus, he's not afraid of anybody. Our second point this morning is no friend of Caesar. The Jewish religious leaders put immense political pressure on Pilate by threatening to go to Caesar if he doesn't cooperate. They knew this was their playing card. This was the card they were going to use. And they really put the pressure on Pilate at this point because they know he's wavering. And they know they have him cornered. Verse 12. From then on, I want you to notice this. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Fascinating statement. But the Jews cried out. They're screaming at Pilate. If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Pilate, you let this guy go, we're going right to Caesar. And you know that men like Annas and Caiaphas had direct access to Caesar. They hated Caesar, but they knew how to use their political power. You release this guy and we're going right to Caesar. And the Caesar at this time was Tiberius Caesar. He was a very volatile man, very temperamental. Pilate knew that. And so they're saying, you let this guy go, you let Jesus go, and we're going straight to Caesar. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic in Gabbatha. So he comes to the place of judgment. This was known as the place of judgment, the stone pavement, Gabbatha. And they bring out Jesus. There are the Jewish religious leaders crying out to crucify him. There's Pilate standing as a judge over him. What an irony. What an irony. One day, one day, all of those men are going to stand before Jesus at the great white throne judgment. And the one sitting on the throne at the great white throne will be Jesus himself. Verse 15. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! I just want you to notice how many times have they said that now. The intensity of their animosity and hatred for him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? You notice that little word, your. Pilate's trying to put it in their court. He's trying to pass this off to them. You make the decision. Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So there's this tense back and forth. And they say to 
Pilate, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And so Pilate says to them, shall I crucify your king? And they say, Pilate, you know better than that. We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. And then we come to verse 16, which seems like an almost incidental verse, but is an absolutely crucial verse in the Gospel of John and in the New Testament. And it says, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. The moment for which all of history had been waiting has now arrived. Pilate has made up his mind to deliver Jesus over to be crucified. The Son of God, the Son of Man, is about to take upon himself the sins of the world. And that's where this passage ends. But I want us to think this morning as we close about Pontius Pilate. And I want you to think about the fact that he came face to face with Jesus. And he had to decide what to do with him. What to do with him. And folks, every single one of us here are just like Pilate. Like Pontius Pilate, ultimately, every one of us has to come face to face with Jesus and decide what we will do with him. Every person who has ever lived in the history of the world, including every person who is alive right now in the face of the earth, has to come face to face with Jesus and ask the question, what will I do with Jesus? Pilate tried everything he could to get rid of him. Everything he possibly could. He tried everything he could to try to hide from his own personal moral responsibility to make a decision about Jesus. So basically, in the end, he rejects it. Every one of us. Me, every single one of you, has to decide what we will do with Jesus. And I want you to know, you can't get rid of Jesus. People try. They try to ignore him. They try to put off thinking about him. They try to say, I'll think about him someday. Someday. They come up with ways to rationalize and justify in their own minds, they say, well, the Bible's just a book written by men, no different than any book. The Bible's full of contradictions. Christianity's no different than any other religion. They're all the same. You see, we're just trying to get rid of Jesus. But in the end, you can't get rid of him. You either receive him or you reject him. There is no middle ground. Folks, there is no middle ground. The most important question you will ever answer in your entire lifetime is what will you do with Jesus?
Will you reject him? Or will you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior? I shared this with you last week, and I want to share it with you again. If you have never, if you do not know for sure that you've ever made a decision to invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, we implore you, we beg you to make that decision. We are here to help you in any and every possible way that we can to make a decision for Christ. On the next to last page of your bulletins this morning, there is a box there. There is a box there that says, here is how you can accept Christ into your life. It shows you what you need to do to receive Jesus by prayer. It comes from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Folks, this is what Franklin Graham uses in his gospel presentations when he invites people to come to Jesus. We invite you this morning to come to Jesus. If you're watching by live stream, there are two links right below the screen you are watching. One is a link to our church website. The second link is a link called Connection Card. You can go to either of those links and contact us, and we will contact you. Nothing is more important than knowing for sure in your heart that you have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. We thank you that he was crushed for our iniquities. We thank you that upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and that with his wounds we are healed. Although he was despised and rejected, everything he did, he did to bring about our salvation. O oh Lord, convict us. Convict us of our need to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. For in his name we pray. Amen.